Sorry, what was that? What just happened in my ears? It's the 80s retro episode. Are you kidding me? Come on. That's like a synthesizer. Yeah. <laughs> that is a song. That's a, a very long introduction from a song that my band performed in 1986. I need to know a lot more about this. I want to know hair, well, you, acid yeah. Oh, oh no, the hair. <laughs> the hair is, oh boy. Well, you remember the 80s, right? Fairly. Yeah, yeah, right. So, well, so you know I have kind of this Italian-inspired wiry hair, right? So yes. I have this... Um, <laughs> I really wanted to get my hair blonde, right? But nobody mm-hmm. told me that you have to bleach your hair a lot to get oh, it blonde. Right. So I, d- I did it and it was orange. <laughs> and, I, and I walked around for a while until like, I think at least some really nice girl came up to me and goes, Chris, you really got to do that again. Like, like you can't, you can't, you can't walk around like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was brutal. I was trying to remember one friend of mine called it screaming yellow zonker hair or something uh-huh. like that because we had these little popcorn bits that were called screaming yellow zonker. Then I went blue black after that for a while and that I got really I, I liked that a little bit more. Yeah. Did you ever do any of that stuff in the 80s or were you always kind of a rugby shirt kind of guy? Uh, really bad rugby shirts. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Did were, they, were, ne- they, were they big stripey guys? And Well, I worked for Canterbury Rugby Jerseys, which was the preeminent rugby jersey company at the time and it was in the middle of the 80s and the Japanese boom was on. So as a teenager, I was speaking Japanese at the local Canterbury rugby jersey store, selling footy jerseys. And yeah, it was a fashion, fashion crimes everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Oh, 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 oh. And the shorts were shockingly short, right? Short, shorty shorts. Yeah, really short. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got some photos of that that are just like, woo. One of my best friends in the whole world sent me something the other day. Uh, Peter Ellenby is his name. He's a legendary rock photographer out of San Francisco who now lives in Portland, and which is great because I get to hang out with him. He sent me this thing that said that if you talk to Australians, they think of possums as cute things that are kind of cuddly and don't hiss at you when you come up the driveway shining a light in their eyes. Is that really true? Yeah, and we, we have a whole cross-cultural problem with possums and other Amer- and, and American creatures. So we have ringtail possums. They're so cute. We have one that comes flying down the side fence, across the deck, and into the tree every night at exactly 7.40 p.m. She is called Mischief. And <laughs> one day, about two weeks ago, I had a drink. <laughs> I had a vodka O. What a shock. <laughs> I had a vodka <laughs> O on, on the banister, and Mischief comes flying along and then stops. And then this clearly they have no capability to jump over premium organic alcohol. I know I don't. <laughs> and so Harper, my son, went out, moved the drink, and mischief carries on. So no that's, way. they're really gorgeous and sweet. But when we were living in Portland, Oregon, I remember looking out in the backyard in northeast Portland, northwest Portland one evening, and seeing this thing and saying to Kim, kind of screaming, oh, my God, it's a giant squirrel. And um, <laughs> And... And this thing was ripping through garbage. It was the size yeah. of a small child. Oh, and, yeah. And Kim came out in hysterics and said, that's a raccoon. I think yeah. it's a raccoon. And they're massive, aren't they? And, or, was it a, or was it a possum? Well, I don't know. I was so scared. Did, I it, have a, did it have a stripy tail or did it have a little like ratty tail? It was hard to see. It was seven foot tall. Yeah. It was yeah. massive <laughs> and just ripping into stuff. And I was terrified. Yeah. And the dog no, was he, crazy. I think it's really interesting just because he said it to me basically with this premise of it's the one animal where you guys got the nice one and that's cuter and we got the the mean one that's nastier 
which is which is a swapping of roles because everything kicked down here will kill you. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we may not have 20 things that can kill you, but we do have mean little possums. Okay. So, hey, we got great feedback on the Steve Solomon episode. Wow. So that was exciting. really cool. Yeah. I love seeing the Australian numbers go up. Well done. Yeah. Well, th- I'm working on it. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, I I'll tell you, I re-listened to it this morning because I was just so pumped about it. How often do you get those newsletters from him? Yeah, that's once a week, and it's wow. fantastic that level of athlete. It's just so interesting getting insights into someone who is on that journey, and um, yeah, it's a fantastic newsletter. Love it. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so '80s retro episode. We've got Todd Downing coming up uh, in an interview that is goes deep into this stuff. I'll introduce that in a minute but until then ready it's the 80s retro quiz are you ready jason (laughs) oh yeah oh it's gonna start off kind of easy Mm -hmm. and i kind of mixed it up with some stuff that's australian so you don't think i'm a total jerk okay you ready okay steal yourself man i'm ready we'll be taking you back to orange hair here we go (laughs) number one which martina dominated tennis in the 80s never love Yes. This one's crossing over. This one might be hard for you. Two, which San Francisco team did Joe Montana play for through most of the 1980s? 49ers. Oh my God, you're not supposed to get that. Really? Is that a How, thing? Yes. No, it's true, but wow. I just thought you wouldn't. Why would you know about American football in the 80s? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's bizarre. Okay, all right. The, remember the, the refrigerator? Remember the refrigerator? The Chicago? Yeah, yeah, that was Chicago. That was Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so you guys do watch football. That, that team came down for a postseason trip and I met him. Oh, my God. You met the fridge? He was just, he was, he's was, massive. Yeah. I was going to say, was he, was he, oh, to say he, was, he had to, he couldn't get through doorways. Amazing. You could, <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, all right. Yeah. Number three, in 1987. The Russians and the Americans signed the Washington Summit Agreement to limit what? Nuclear warfare. Yes, you are three for three. Bing, bing, bing. (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to warn you, this is kind of a trick question. In the 80s, Afghanistan was occupied by troops from which country? Wait, um, Russia. Technically not true. Oh. It's the USSR. USSR. Uh, I don't like you anymore. Do you remember what the USS... I warned you it was a trick question. Do you remember what the USSR stands for? uh, United Soviet State something. (laughs) United Soviet... (laughs) The United Soviet Socialist Republic. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Another republic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, they're a socialist republic, Jason. By the way, we have some new Russian listeners after the last episode. Oh, really? So we probably ought to, you know, keep it clean. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not going to lie to anybody, but, you know, we don't have to walk into anything either. So here we go. In the 1980s, which country was responsible for ethnic attacks on the Kurds? Oh, and then I was thinking the Tutsis, but that's a different terrible group of people. Yeah, um, yeah that's in that's Africa, attacked the Kurds, and they gassed them, didn't they? Oh, it's Saddam Hussein. It was bad. You're right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. This one's a little tougher. Okay. This one's a little tougher. Whose 70th birthday concert did Whitney Houston sing at in London in 1988? 70th birthday in '88. Mm-hmm. In that London. Is, that's kind of hard. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. Th- I told you. Oh. Uh, the Queen. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, Nelson Mandela. Oh, so close to Queen, mm, Nelson Mandela. Mm, yeah. I get those guys mixed up so often. Now, this one's going down under. You ready? Mm, yep. This is which Sydney Australia band had a cool single entitled Don't Change in 1982? Whoa. Don't change. Okay, hang on. I'm going to make me sing it to you, are you? Can, can you give us a few bars? <laughs> That's <laughs> probably asking for it. I, I would do it if it was one of the episodes where we're drinking, but yeah. we're not. So okay, hang on. Don't change. Cold chisel. Um, uh, Mondo Rick. Mondo Rock. No. no, it's in excess. Oh, I'm gonna. Oh boy, that's that's a really bad one to miss. <laughs> no, to and all... it's a Sydney band. It's not even just an Australian band. It's a Sydney band. I'm so sorry. All right, you can redeem yourself with this one. Are you ready? Yep. Which Australian band had a hit single in 1982 called "The Power and the Passion"? Um. Midnight Oil. Correct. <laughs> I love that song. That was the best song. It's. I love the oh. ending of that song. Yeah. With all the horns. That's the yeah, coolest yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. my God. It's so good. It just keeps going, too, you know? Yeah. I've, I remember seeing a video one time of that. I think it was the first time I ever saw it. I think I saw it on a, as a video because that was the MTV time, you know? Mm. And I remember, if maybe it was a live show. Maybe it was the video. But Peter Garrett, at the end, when all the horns are going off, he just does this crazy thing on stage. His arms are flailing all over the place. And I don't know how he makes that work because it looks really strange but it was never dumb it was it was always this cool pure thing or something he's um, so quick can i can i turn the quiz back on you how old uh, is how old is peter garrett oh my god i'm gonna say so by the way while i was researching this Mm -hmm. i learned that midnight oil was formed in 1973 okay so you you probably can figure this out yeah so i'm gonna guess he's like 70 he's bang on 70 and i met him at a dinner because he went to a school that my school's affiliated with and i went to this kind of alumni thing okay hold on a second you're six foot four, right? But he's massive. No, no, is he's he, six. Is he's like six, how much? Oh, he my is. That explains huge. it. Yeah. Oh, and, my gosh. And amazing. And so self-effacing. He said, he was the keynote speaker at this dinner. He goes, I know everyone here knows this. I'm not the world's best singer. In fact, I'm not really a good singer at all. And it was just, it just brought the house down. And it was just like funny. And he goes, it's kind of like my dancing. And it was just amazing. And anyway, we could probably do it. Now. Oh, what if we get him on the podcast? Ooh. Oh, no, that's, oh, I'm not going to say no to that. Here we go. Got Which was the highest grossing movie of the 1980s, the entire huh? decade. Home Alone. Mm. E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, this mm. sucks. I hate this quiz. Mm. That was a good And I'm going to finish with this one, and I just love this. This just takes me back. What 1980 movie had the line where one character said, surely you're not serious, and got the response, <laughs> I am so serious, serious, and don't, don't call, call me Shirley. <laughs> I know it's so lame that that continues to be so funny. Was that airplane? No, it's airplane. You're right. It's airplane. Oh my god, it's so good. Leslie Nielsen delivered that line. Remember, and he deadpanned it too. Right, he He just didn't even crack. How did the people on set not explode and ruin that scene? So So everybody, I think you're going to really like this. Todd Downing, who we're about to interview, has worked in music, stage, screen, video games, and is the author of the retro pulp publications and audiobook series Airship Daedalus. His latest book is an '80s period book entitled. Calico Kids. Calico Kids comes with its own Spotify 
playlist of songs that are deep tracks from different bands at the time. And we thought this was really cool and interesting. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. Do you believe in spirits? Like booze or ghosts? Really? It's always grog and ghosts with you, isn't it? What I mean is the essence of something. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we have a spirit down here in Australia. Really? So, like... Bundaberg rum? Enough, my barmate. The spirit of Australia is in fact Qantas Airlines, our new sponsor. Well, that's been their tagline since the beginning of time. Oh, that's right. The Recombobulator Lab is now proudly sponsored by the safest airline in the world. You betcha. Now, John Travolta was their famous front man. He's a big pilot guy and had a vintage 707 he'd fly around. It featured in Rain Man. And they never fall out of the sky, which is super important for me when I choose an airline. And they offer organic hot chocolate and Tim Tams, a quintessential Australian biscuit cookie as you say even in cattle class where i do all of my traveling sadly so when we've beaten the pandemic to a pulp fly Qantas and feel the spirit of australia all right todd it is great to have you join us where are you physically right now and emotionally and spiritually <laughs> well it is great to be here long time listener first time caller <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm actually sitting in my studio slash office in my home in port orchard washington we've got a little secluded craftsman home on five protected acres of wetlands and woods mm. and it's just it's a great place to work and write and be creative beautiful that sounds awesome Chris has been raving about uh, Calico Kids, so I've checked it out. And for once, for once in his life, Chris Dominic is actually onto something. <laughs> um, can you tell our listeners, and they're from all over the world, even down here in Sydney, Australia, about the book? It's kind of an early 80s period piece, and it deals with a group of kind of young teens, some friends in a rural town in southern Oregon, and the the mysteries that they solve and danger they encounter and up to and including saving the world. You know what that makes me think of right away? It makes me think of that movie that was adapted from that short story of Stephen King's The Body. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Uh, Stand By Me. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, that's the first oh, image I have. Of those same. kids walking across that. On the train uh, track. The, yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. remembers that part. What year that's was so that? Because cool. we were all the same age. And 1982 is we were like 12, 13. But that Stand By Me was around that time? No, Stand By Me came out in 86. Okay. Look at this. Yeah. Todd's got movie dates. You right? have oh, yeah. incredible <laughs> memory. Wow. And uh, that of was a really... certain period. I, you know, yeah. outside of that, I'm trash. But, you know. <laughs> In, in my wheelhouse, I, I'm pretty re- reliable. River Phoenix? Who was in that? Yes. Oh, yeah. River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, yeah. Jerry, oh, Jerry O'Connell, glasses. Corey Feldman. Yes. That's right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's oh, it's the retro cool. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're, 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 we need different music for the title for this episode. So, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Right. 80s you know, that's not a bad idea, actually. I might I've got a few of them, Chris, okay? It's not just you, okay? I know, I know for a fact that Chris has been working working on some synthwave stuff in his spare time. He gave me up. (laughs) Under the bus, man. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so we're we're doing this. So I just heard the other day that John Carpenter has a new record out. Yes. John Carpenter. Yeah. The guy who did the... uh, Apparently, he is exclusively an artist now. Yeah. He's not doing movies... Well, I mean, you're an artist when you're a director, I guess. Right. But I'm just saying he is is sitting in his studio and making these really amazing little pieces that sound like all that goodness from the late 70s and early 80s. And it's... Which, Which he... He also yeah. sc- 
scored. I mean, he scored all of his yeah. own films. So absolutely, I know, yeah. and that's just crazy, right? That is really good stuff. I, mm-hmm. I uh, in fact, Jason and I just the other day were talking about how much we love the intro music to Stranger Things, which yes. is really right in that same same genre. Absolutely. So yeah, no, that stuff's great. And actually, one of my favorite things about your book is that you have a Spotify mixtape that goes with it. Yes, and songs that go with <laughs> chapters, which yes. is oh my god, I'm geeking out. It really helps us. <laughs> I, I love to hear, I, I want to know about your source of inspiration for that because I was actually driving around listening to it today. Okay, so when I write, I usually, I have a number of playlists that I have on as background music for inspiration just to kind of help the words flow because it can be like pulling teeth sometimes depending on the day or the chapter that I have to tackle. Uh, if I'm writing about something that's emotionally really draining or because I have to get inside the character's heads and to a certain extent, experience or re-experience trauma that they're experiencing just to make it, to sell it, to really deliver on on the vibe for the reader. I work from a rough outline and then focus in. So I'll chapter out a book, meaning I'll, I'll go into my writing program and I'll say, you know, chapter one and kind of break it down by chapter. This is what happens in this chapter and then move along in acts. I think there are three acts in Calico Kids. I usually write from like a four act formula, but and when I say formula, it means it doesn't mean like it's pre-written. It's just, you know, it's kind of the structure that I work with, kind of like in music when you work in certain structures. I was new to Spotify at the time. My daughter actually got me into Spotify because I had been on all kinds of different streaming services. And just having a paid Spotify account allowed me to put together specific playlists. And in doing historical research for the time period of Calico Kids, which is 1982, 83 a little bit, it made sense to kind of pull some of the the music that I remember from being 14 at the time, you know, what I was listening to, which was pretty eclectic. I mean, it wasn't just yeah. Europop. It wasn't it wasn't just metal. It, it wasn't just punk. It was everything. We were consuming it and we were passionate about it. So I curated, I think it's just over 100 songs, each one by a different artist. There are no repeated artists in there. And it's all from like 78 to 82, nothing after 82. Just that small window of time right around 1980, early 80s, when uh, a lot of change was going on in music. You did deep tracks, too. Mm-hmm. Like There's a couple mm-hmm. tracks that came up where I was like, what? Yeah. I have not heard this. <laughs> so, I mean, so that was kind of fun, too, because I think I've heard most of the bands. I just I haven't mm-hmm. heard some of the songs. And you put Goodbye to You on there, which, yeah. un- which unpacked a strange set of memories that were I thought were gone <laughs> of me playing <laughs> that song in a, as a cover yeah. in my high school band at a dance. Would that be Shadow Talk? Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. And I had forgotten about that song. I had forgotten. It was just wild. It was great. I remember that band, actually. I remember seeing you guys play before you broke off and became The Rise. I do want to go for a little journey here with you, Todd. And I, yeah. you have the fact that you're at school with Chris. So we're going to take the next, I don't know, 90 minutes to really unpack this. <laughs> Um, pretty good shit. 
Any good stories to share? The uglier the better? No, actually, no ugly stories because uh, Chris was actually Jason's so disappointed. Oh. Yeah, Chris was actually one of my favorite people at Palo Alto High School. It's, you know, Silicon Valley. It was a very affluent neighborhood, mm-hmm. affluent. You know, kids and families, and there's so there was a lot of ego and a lot of pretense, a lot of high stress. I mean, I think they still have one of the highest suicide rates. I think gun is higher now. Is it? Yeah, which is it's weird. It's weird that it's actually called Gun High School. Right. With two ends. Yeah. All those things are true. And we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, what I was saying was that you didn't have that pretense. You were very real. You know, you were interactive with just about everybody from every social spectrum. Yeah. That's why we're friends to this day. We bonded a lot over music in particular, but we also just had a bunch of good times. In summary, we've just cut down 90 minutes of that's tearing Chris apart to reality. He's a genuinely nice guy. He had a lot of great friends. I'm I'm bored now. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> you don't you don't know that I called Todd right before this. Uh, yeah. I said, Todd, don't tell him about the time that <laughs> look. <laughs> well, Todd, if you get a TV show or a movie out of Calico Kids, can you please have theme music featuring the 1980s analog synthesizers like we were talking about? Yes, absolutely. But I understand that you're also working on an audio book. And I want to know, listening to your dulcet tones right now, are you reading it? And is that whole process difficult? <laughs> the arena of audiobooks is something that's been relatively new over the past couple of years for me. I was doing some research and finding that while the traditional publishing industry was falling flat in terms of revenue, independent authors and especially audiobooks were rising worldwide. And I think it's a sign of the times. There's a lot of people commuting, a lot of people exercising with, you know, listening to podcasts and and, uh, audio dramas and, and things like that. It made a lot of sense. And so I started with my Pulp Adventure series, and there are currently three audiobooks from that series, from the five existing books. And we're working on the fourth one that's in post right now. And then I personally narrated my anthology, Primordial Soup Kitchen. And yes, I am narrating Calico Kids. It's an easier headspace for me to get into as opposed to the pulp stuff, which has it features a worldwide cast, international cast. And so I'm working with an actor that I know that can do all the various accents and things like that, that I can't do. What I can do is a West Coast 1980s accent. <laughs> so, Dude! <laughs> you may say hella every once hella. in a while, because you hella grew up bad. in the Bay Area. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's hella good, man. (laughs) It's really a thing, Jason. Believe it or not, we... Yeah, yes. people from the Bay Area apparently brought hella to the world. So Hella um, bitchin'. Yep, exactly, exactly. (laughs) From the book industry, that's fascinating. Podcasts seem to be exploding. And then someone, I think I might have sent one to you too, Chris, got me a invitation to clubhouse Have mm. you, clubhouse is like live audio speaking we can talk about it later it's crazy but as <laughs> okay. well elon musk was on it last week and he just hosts an audience and anyone can participate and you can ask questions and it's just interesting where audio has gone as a concept wow well you know it's interesting though because i think audio is really cool i i love the radio you know mm-hmm. I, I love the whole super compressed fm radio sound i think it's gorgeous and and warm and i love radio dramas and things like that i'll tell you actually one of the things i don't like as much about audiobooks is that they don't have what you'll get in something that's meant to be more of an audio drama 
left, right? right. So you'll have somebody's got to think about the music, right? Somebody's got to right. think about sound effects. Somebody's right, and I kind of like that but more. It, it's closer to say something like Orson Welles would have done with yeah, Will yeah. It's stuff. a performance as opposed to a recitation. Todd, we like to debunk myths on this show. And um, yes. are there any myths you like to debunk about writing or really anything else in your world? But one thing that it's been an anchor around the world of indie publishing's neck for a long time, and that is that indie publishing or indie authors equal inferior product. That you need to be cultivated by the publishing, the traditional publishing industry, and they do the curation. And you can't go wrong if if they put it out, then you can trust them. And I am here to tell you that ain't the case. <laughs> uh, my wife actually works in the legal field, but she has a side hustle as an editor. So she edits a lot of indie fiction and, and she reads a ton of fiction from all across the spectrum, traditional and otherwise. And she's constantly finding stuff in traditionally published fiction that would never pass muster with an indie author. Like they would mm-hmm. never let that stuff out. Audiobooks are not exempt from this. There are uh, traditionally published audiobooks coming out of Audible that have additional re- reader takes. Like when the reader is is narrating the book and does an alternate take, that's supposed to be edited. Right. Oh. And some of this stuff is just being let loose on the world, on paying customers which would get kicked back to any indie if that had gone through. I'm having a hard time computing that. What would yeah. lead to that? I don't know what the breakdown in quality control is, where what the weak link is. It's yeah. some, you know, laziness or or other. I don't know. The world we live in, this long tail world, where it's like, no, you don't rely on Barnes and Noble or HarperCollins to tell me what I'm going to read. You can go and explore. And that's the beauty of the world we live in today. My wife and I wrote two books. One we self-published, and then we mm-hmm. thought, oh, now we've proven ourselves, we'll go to a publisher. And we had an experience somewhat like what you were just describing. It was like, right. oh my gosh, I picked that cover and that's fine. <laughs> and then the, the, PR, the promotion stuff, and it was like, oh, this is a nightmare. This is, no, it's not in, at your scale at all, but it was like, oh, that's the problem. There's this fantasy of like, oh, when we get that deal with that big movie house or that big publisher, mm-hmm. we'll be set. But you actually, it's sort of inversely related to your creative kind of control and impact on that. It is. Right. There's legendary stories about major music contracts that are almost designed to fail so that they've got tax write-offs. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, like, we're going to screw this band. They'll never be able to get out of the debt that they get from this advance. So. Oh, yeah. And that happens in the movie industry as well. I mean, there are so many uh, film projects that are strangled in the the crib and sabotaged by (laughs) by the studios. (laughs) Before they're even released as a tax write-off, it's it's crazy. That sounds horrible, man. That's, I mean, that's unfortunately that's I, probably one of the reasons why there's so many horrible stories in the art fields, uh, yeah. generally, because it's just. I knew you wrote that book, Jason, but you wrote another book. We wrote two books, just one oh. on great dates, a romantic guide to Sydney, which was 200 dates around the Sydney area, which this is when I was dating my now wife, and then we wrote one for Australia. And then that spun off into an event management business. Organizing, <laughs> That's fantastic. It was a really fun We organized a unique once in a lifetime. It was, like, it was called Boutique Event Management, Two's Company Boutique Event Management. Whoa. So this, we, is before, this is before G-Diapers. Yeah, before, before we got stage. married. So we take you know high net worth individuals who had a lot of money and no creativity and they were trying to organize their wife's 40th birthday and 
him and I just sit on the beach and whip up some crazy ideas. It was before 9-11. It was before. So we could kidnap people. Like we kidnapped the CEO of this company and oh. put him on a plane and flew him to Ayers Rock in the middle of Australia. And when he landed, he discovered his favorite restaurant had been recreated in front of him. It was before Uber Eats. It was before lots of things, but it was really cool. God, that's <laughs> like, amazing, it was, man. It was a classic opium Back business. in the day. Back in the Back, day. Before, before 9-1-1. <laughs> You can just kidnap people. It was so easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that was back when uh, you you know the security at airports was laughable. Yeah. Um, so hey, well, Todd, how yeah. long is it going to take you to get the damn audio book out? <laughs> oh, this is hard love. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I don't write terribly long books. Most of my books are right around between fifty and seventy thousand words, which is on the short side nowadays. And there's a theory behind this, like what what you grew up reading is kind of the sweet mm. spot for a lot of authors. What, what they're that's comfortable, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of that's that's where my sweet spot is. And and so I usually have chapters in the low twenties. I don't write forty or fifty chapter books. They're they're pretty manageable. They're bite-sized. And I'm just about at chapter 12, I think. I don't have the book in front of me, but I think Calico Kids is something like 24. That's yeah. good. That's good. You, you, don't, you don't want to promise our listeners when it's going to be ready? Yeah. No, I can't do that. Just because I, I, I'm a one-man operation. <laughs> There's yeah. only so much yeah. I can do. <laughs> That's the one thing about being an indie publisher, an indie author, is that you are beholden to no one but yourself. But that also mm. means that your boss is an incredible dick. <laughs> Is that a technical publishing term? Yes. So good. (laughs) Incredible dick. (laughs) Private eye. (laughs) God, I love that voiceover. (laughs) That is pretty good. Can I sample that? Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to play that every once in a while. (laughs) Jason's just like sitting back going, okay. Okay. You guys are just catching up on the show. We're reliving the trauma. <laughs> I'll just go and make some breakfast and you guys carry yeah, on. Yeah, I'll be back. No, you're, I know you're going to make bacon. <laughs> totally going to make bacon. Jason's going to make proper bacon, right? like yeah, a right. rasher, right? That's right. That's yes. Exactly right. You, what the hell? What word does that mean? That's another episode. You don't know what a rasher of bacon is? No. Oh, Chris, who are you? <laughs> um, that's another. That's for another episode. We'll do a bacon special. Oh, we need a Excellent. bacon sponsor. <gasps> Oh, there oh you go. God. Bacon sponsor. A bacon special. Mm. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. That's, okay, okay, so That's like, somebody told me the other day that they had bacon-infused vodka, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that is a Jason drink. That is... <laughs> Jason would drink that. (laughs) I love it. I I have a bottle of that, actually, from a local distillery. You seriously do? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Dude, think about about the Bloody Mary you could make with that. Uh, Oh, that's that's why. That's That's the only reason to have it. Yeah, you're not going to just... No, that does make sense. I hadn't thought about that. I was like, why would you do that? I'm not a Bloody Mary guy, even though I, I know everybody has them, and I always wish I liked them because... They look like they're great. Todd, where can people get the book? We're a global audience. Uh, yes. Do you publish wide, which means uh, not exclusive to to Kindle Unlimited mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. I am on Kindle. I do publish in Kindle format, but I publish on a variety of platforms. And so I would much rather get my book into the most possible hands and in front of the most possible eyeballs. So mm-hmm. if you go to toddowning.com and that's yep. Todd with two Ds and then Downing 
Downing with one D at the beginning. So it's three Ds all together. Mm-hmm. ToddDowning.com. I have direct sales links to all my material. Awesome. That sounds great. Very cool. Uh, and, but, and the audio. But you're will... also all over Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I mean, you're, 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 I think your artist page comes up before your website does. So does it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's also another Todd Downing who uh, I think he's now deceased, but he was like a, an anthropology author and wrote Native American mysteries and stuff like that back in the, the 20th century, the mid 20th century. So I, some of his cred might be uh, boosting me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you, uh, maybe you should have gone Todd, uh, middle initial Downing. Yeah. Or maybe you. Maybe you could have gone, uh, what's your middle initial, Todd? I don't even e. know this. E. E. So you, oh, you could have been T.E. Downing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? That's really not you. I don't, not want, I don't want to That's really not on you. the side, you know. <laughs> no, no. Okay, man. All right. Well, hey, Todd, hey, this has been awesome. It is so, it's been so good to talk to you after way too long. I'm looking forward yeah. to catching up with you in person after all of this crazy. Oh, stuff, for so. sure. For sure. Yeah. Miss you, buddy. You too. So Jason, good you want to say goodbye? I miss you too, well, Jason. I, I miss you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. We got Todd Downing. We got Retro 80s. Woo, Jason. That was quite the episode and the the soundtrack of my life just coming back at me. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Look, I really want to thank our listeners for all the feedback. Without the feedback and the questions and the great comments, we really don't know what we're doing. We kind of fly blind. So please keep it coming. We love it. Yeah, absolutely. Double on that. And and we've got some new five-star reviews and some written reviews. We've got to thank you a ton for that. And we know some of you have passed us along from looking at the numbers. So thanks so much for all that. Please keep it up. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham-Nine. Catch you next time.